This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth. This was my sermon from December 27th. I hope you enjoy. God bless. My scripture this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt. And remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. He sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, and according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Re Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his, own, his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled that he will be called a Nazarene or Nazarene. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. Now I'm not going to lie to you. As I was preparing for myself for this sermon, I, I am uh, in the midst of preparing for another class that's going to be taking place in January. And it's as far as I can tell, it's about the understanding of prophecy or the prophetic voices of our Hebrew Bible, as well as those from the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew has, well, it's an interesting book. <laughs> as I always tell my Bible studies or my Sunday school classes, that, you know, we always have this idea that what the church tradition has given to us isn't exactly necessarily what the authors had intended. So for example, the Gospel of Matthew was not written before the Gospel of Mark. So if you look at your Bible, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Well, that order's a little messed up, but really between Matthew and Mark. I think more scholars today would say that Mark was the first Gospel written, and Matthew and Luke were written around the same time frame, and then John comes much, much later. 
mainly because of the practices and the traditions that are talked about in the Gospel of John, are not heard from the synoptics. You see, the, the message in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is, is that it was the synopsis of Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection. And Matthew and Luke are very concerned about the birth of Jesus. But notice that Matthew wants us to know how important Jesus really is to the world and even to their world. Just one more thing about Matthew that I just always have to point out. It's really important that we have these moments of distinction between the four Gospels in the sense that Matthew obviously knows Jewish tradition inside and out. He quotes from the Hebrew Bible in such a way as if he's a scholar. He talks about the rituals and the traditions and the things that Jesus does really are go against, not necessarily what, against Torah, but in the fulfillment of it. So whomever is writing the Gospel of Matthew had to have known those, those understandings of the ancient world. In this passage, for example, there are three distinct scenes. One, the flight to Egypt. Now that has always blown my mind. The Hebrew culture had fleed from Egypt in the time of Moses. And here we have Matthew saying, it's time to go find safety in Egypt. Now, just for your reference, the Gospel of Matthew writer is quoting almost verbatim the book of Hosea chapter 11. Then there's the next scene that none of us ever like where Herod goes and kills all the children that are two years old and younger just like Pharaoh did at the time of Moses' birth. And we read about that in Jeremiah chapter 31. And then, as if Matthew had not given us enough, he wants to tie us, of course, to the prophet Isaiah. And this is the story about how the Messiah, or the Mashiach, will be from Nazareth. And they call him a Nazarene, or a Nazarene. These are important things to point out, people. A lot of times we read the story and we go, oh, well, that was just beautiful. No, no. There is a massive theological discussion being taken place here in those few verses that we just got done reading. The untold story, if you will, among the Palestinians and the Jewish Christians. Now that Christ has constituted in, his, in Matthew's mind the fulfillment of Scripture, even to the smallest detail. Remember, Matthew is the one that starts off with the genealogy of Jesus. And at further glance, the genealogy that he lists is to the family of Joseph. Which for us is a little weird because Joseph wasn't really the baby's daddy. <laughs> the earthly one, sure. But in a process of Torah-based understanding, he adopts this child as his own. That child is his, according to Torah. There's nothing wrong with that. It's this beautiful imagery that takes place in the Gospel of Matthew. And here, even more so, there's a connection to not just the Palestinians in the area, but those that are Jewish 
that are trying to connect to Jesus in such a way that makes sense to them. You see, in their world, there can only be one God. And God did walk amongst humans in the Torah. God absolutely spoke to humans in the Hebrew Bible. But for these people, they're trying to make sense of what's going on. So what does he do? He creates a new Exodus story. A connection, if you will, to the Palestinian people and those that are around that are these Jewish folks that are trying to understand. He creates a new exodus, creating a messianic genesis, if you will. But you see, the problem with this is every time that we proof text, right, we're making our own statements and those and and Matthew is definitely wanting to make sure that we understand that there's an exodus moment. But how this worked for Hosea was a little inconclusive. Hosea's own words were, the more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and in burning incense to idols. You see, even Hosea struggled with the people of his time and the connection of God the creator and the God of the world. For us, maybe money. For us, maybe possessions. In, in a lot of ways, even our own traditions become false gods. And Hosea struggles with this. But Matthew is trying to connect us through this idea that through Jesus' obedience, he was worthy to be called by God, my son. Jesus is, Joseph takes this young child to Egypt and stays there to fulfill what God has said through the prophets. And then later, John the Baptist prepares the way for the Messiah by preaching repentance in the Gospel of Matthew. You see, each one makes life choices that God uses to fulfill the covenant of salvation. How often do we do that? How, I mean, for a lot of us, even those that are watching online, some of you haven't been out of the house since March. How do we find ourselves reflecting on those moments? Well, we need to stop making it so complicated, for one. In our own minds, that it has to be some grand gesture God wants the connection from your heart. Not the grandiosity of the world, you see. One of the scholars I was reading talked about how do we make our own life choices to understand the covenant of salvation? Well, maybe it's a short trip out of town to practice this, you know. Maybe you spend the night alone and reflect on how your life can be a part of God's purpose. Maybe, maybe not driving, maybe just taking a walk, a leisurely walk, some morning or afternoon. And ask yourself this question. How can I cooperate with God's design for my life? Do I have any unique qualities that might reflect a certain purpose? 
What promise might I help fulfill? I'll read those questions to you again. In the same way that Matthew has, in, in my sense, a, a trinity based on understanding of Exodus, these three questions help guide us in the midst of the untold story of how powerful the Messiah coming into our life is. How can I cooperate with God's designs for my life? Number one. Number two, do I have any unique qualities that might reflect a certain purpose? And then number three, what promise might I help fulfill? I've always found it fascinating that in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew talks about dreams. Uh, the gospel, other gospel writers never once referred to dreams. But Matthew does. In this case, Matthew actually talks about he uses dreams six times in the telling of his story while the other gospel writers use nothing. He also does something where he takes the holy family, right? The, the Mary, the Joseph, the baby, and a family that begins with such promise in Luke's gospel with, you know, I mean, humongous story, right? shepherds out in the field and angels that are so loud that they cover the sky and it looks like daylight. I mean, you, you can imagine in Luke's gospel, there's this beautiful fanfare and grandiosity of the birth of Jesus and these normal people, normal, not the leaders of the time, us, you see, are approached by and created the opportunity to tell about the birth of Jesus. Whereas in Matthew... It's reduced to the status of refugees as they're leaving the, where he was born, fleeing to Egypt, hiding in some senses until it could be safe to come back home. It's really hard to read this passage of scripture and to listen to the actual untold story of the refugees in our midst. In my life, I've had multiple opportunities to work with people from other parts of the world that were trying to escape the, the dictatorship that they were under or the, the dangers of their life because of the world that they lived in from other countries that are just seeking a place of refuge. And we as the church are supposed to be the phrase, the safe place. I mean, even the name of our place of worship is called the sanctuary. A place to provide refuge. And here we are. The untold story here in Matthew is not necessarily about the grandiosity of Jesus' birth. But how do we help Jesus find a place of safety in our own hearts? You know, the other thing that's amazing about the Gospel of Matthew is he focuses so much on taking care of the community. In our world, our postmodern world that we live in, we have refugees of every shape, size, origin, 
from all over the world just begging for a place of safety. And no, I'm not just going into this idea of just, just immigration. <laughs> That's a part of this, of refuge. But I'm also talking about those that are in our midst that have gone on their own exodus journey and can't seem to find their way back home for whatever reason it is. And it makes it extremely hard today in our world to provide a place of safety and refuge in the grandiosity of our past. Maybe the untold story isn't just about how do we make things beautiful and big and better and, and more fancy. Maybe it's about how do we teach our own congregants how to find the presence of God in the midst of being isolated. You know, in some ways we are kind of in Egypt waiting for God to tell us that it's going to be safe to come home. But God has never abandoned us in the midst of this, you see. That's the most important part that Matthew's trying to tell you is that God was with Joseph and Mary and the baby the whole way through. Even when they're in the lands of Egypt, and even as they're trying to come back home and in and in, end into a town of Nazareth. The untold purpose, the untold story of Christmas is that moment of connection. That place of safety and refuge. And the part that I love is, is that you get to experience that hope, that love, that joy, that peace in images of Christ being born. For some, it's in the scenes of the nativity outside our building. For some, it's here in our creche where the baby Jesus is now in there in case Bo Cunningham is watching this. He's there and I got the camels close to the barn so that they'll stay warm. Maybe it's in those moments. Maybe it's picking up the phone and calling one of our church family and saying, hey, I was just thinking about you today. I know that we're all in the wilderness seeking a place of refuge, but I want you to know that I'm here for you and I'm praying with and for you. You see, the untold story of Christmas is not some grandiose gesture. It's the humility in the ways that Christ was born. It's the humility of recognizing that as human beings, we live in a world that is governed by human beings. But ultimately, God is in control in the midst of that. Empires can rise and fall, and leaders can come and go, and all of the world can seem to be literally on fire. And God has never abandoned us. To me, that's the untold story of Christmas. To provide a place for those that are lost, those that are seeking, and those that need encouragement. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.